and welcome to another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. Uh, my name is David Lloyd and I have been co-hosting these pretty much since they started. Well, not pretty much, actually since they started, <laughs> <laughs> along with my two co-conspirators, one of whom has done all of them, one of whom has done most of them. Chris Budd, tell us about yourself. Well, David, uh, regular listeners, well, I say regular listeners from the last show, well, uh, remember that um, I started a, a little record buying hobby and selling uh, and I've made another little purchase and it's absolutely gorgeous. I have just bought a Danset record player. Now, David, you're of an age that you might just know what that means. Tomo's looking very bewildered. Uh, a Danset record player, it's a 1963 portable record player. So you pick it up and you take it to a party, plug it in and play your favourite beat records. Um, it's been fully restored and it's absolutely gorgeous the reason i bought it is because when i go to a record um a, a local market i want to be able to play some of my stock so uh i'm, I'm i've got the mighty long ashton village market coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'm really looking forward to plugging my record player in and putting on some of those old classics while i sell some vinyl and does Tommy, that would you mind put, sorry but before you ask david would you mind just putting a hashtag on this podcast of hashtag boomer podcast or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how younger people like to just slag us older people off and classify us as being boomers as if it's something yeah it's because you've taken everything from us our reasonable <laughs> our reasonable housing our our state pensions that are going to start earlier than 75 etc 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 well, you were just bored at the wrong time, Tom. Or what else can I say? <laughs> I'm just playing to the uh, stereotype of of uh, generational wars. So the question I was about to ask you, Chris, before we were so rudely interrupted by that millennial, <laughs> was uh, uh, does it also give you an opportunity when you're going around to actually, when you're buying something, if you're a record and you want to find out how good it is, could you take your little dance set with you and set it up and listen to it at that point? Uh, yes, I mean, and, and actually that gives away that uh, this is a hobby, not a business, because what I should really do is look up the value online and work out if I can make a profit on it. But I'm far more interested in selling stuff that I think is good music. And and, uh, and the, and what, so one of the things I'm doing, one of my heroes, uh, my, my number one guitar hero is Joan Armour Trading. And if anybody looks either who the hell's Joan Armour Trading or Joan Armour Trading, you want to see a pop star in the 80s, just look up a, a song called Like Fire by Joan Armour Trading. Uh, the intro to Like Fire is one of the most insane bits of guitar you will ever hear in your life. It's absolutely incredible. I know some of the best guitarists in the area and none of them can play it. So what I want to do is I bought a whole load of that album, her eponymous album, Joan Armour Trading with Joan Armour Trading, which is a masterpiece from the 1976 or seven. And uh, you can get it really cheap. Like I've been buying copies for three, four quid all over the place and I'm just going to give them away to people. So if somebody comes out, maybe a, a young person who is, is getting into their vinyl as they do these days um, and they buy some records. I think they've clearly got good taste. I'm just going to give them a copy of Journal of Trading and say, you need that in your life. Excellent. Yeah, well, it's a record I've had in the past, actually, but I don't I don't I don't have any more. I think I well, for a tenner, you, I'll sell you one. <laughs> no, so I never listen to records. Waste of time when I can stream them. Why should I? Right. <laughs> We're in danger of getting into a whole big argument here. So uh, that's enough uh, general tittle-tattle. Um, what are we going to do in today's podcast, Chris? What are we talking about? Today, we are going to walk through four steps to create a simple financial well-being plan. Oh, now, stop me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, 
Isn't that essentially what we've been doing for the past 90 odd episodes, talking about how we can create a financial well-being plan? Or is this something slightly different or something a bit more specific? It's a little bit of an advancement, if I can put it that way. So this is this is like um, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to take some of the core ideas from my new book, The Cornerstones of Financial Wellbeing. Um, a financial plan is creating a plan for your money for the future. OK, a financial well-being plan is creating action points that improve your relationship with money and thereby will help you achieve your financial plan. So the two things are different, but they definitely go together. They inform each other. Excellent. So we're going to be looking at some specifics today. Yes. And some specific action points and tips and things that people can do. Great. Oh, looking forward to that then. OK. Um, does that by any chance stem from a book that you might have written recently? <laughs> it might have done, David. Yes. Uh, the, the cornerstones of financial well-being. I'm very much hoping by the time this podcast is going out, it will either be uh, able to be pre-ordered or actually be in the shops. So, um, yeah, very excited about that coming out. Excellent. Good. Look forward to hearing more about that in due course. But before we move on to that, let's go to the first of our regular features. No shizzle Sherlock. Now, this section came about because... The investment tips that you hear from very wealthy people can sometimes sound a little obvious and maybe, dare we say it, they are as much about showing off as they are about passing on sage advice. So in the No Shizzle Sherlock section, therefore, we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it's as obvious as the most obvious thing that you've ever heard in obvious land. So, Chris, what is today's No Shizzle Sherlock? David, we're going to hear again from the world's most famous investor, Warren Buffett. Ah, oh, I know that name. We've heard from him before in this section, haven't we? We have. We have uh, episode 87, I think it was, um, if I scribbled, scribbled my note down, um, where he said the stock market is a device to transfer money from the impatient to the patient which we liked. We, we, we really unpicked that and thought that, that that was really quite sound. He's very quotable as Mr. Buffett. He's got a he great is. way with he a one-liner. He really does. Um, so I thought we'd have another a look at another one of his, which is this. I don't look to jump over seven-foot bars. I look around for one-foot bars that I can step over. Well, that rings true to me. Uh, back in the day when I was theoretically live enough to jump over a seven-foot bar, I never would have done it anyway. <laughs> But now give me a one foot bar and I will step gingerly and gently over it until the cows come home. But from Hashtag a financial <laughs> from a financial point of view, does that actually make any sense, Tomo? Uh, do you know what? I trying to think what what he's alluding to here. I think it probably does. I think he's right I think it's more about investing than speculating. I think he's not trying to find this latest high risk it's gonna either go amazingly well or, or or not kind of investment because this is what he's known for warren buffett is, is being a sage and, and patient investor and he's probably just looking for more for companies that have got some good fundamentals that are just doing the right thing and, and it looks like they're going to be making profits in the future and earning the profits off of that in the long term rather than trying to find this most amazing next big thing I, that's kind of what i'm taking from what he's saying there and he probably he won't listen to this but if he does welcome to have a chat with me warren and tell me how wrong on that i am <laughs> um but that's my perception of what he's saying is is yeah investing over speculating 
Yeah, Warren, can I just add, if you are listening, that actually this this uh, this podcast, uh, certainly my share of it, is up for sale. Uh, and, uh, if you uh, if, if if you want to make me an offer, you know, then start start at a million and we'll talk. Can you imagine if we had Warren Buffett as a guest on this podcast? Let's do it, Tammy. That's your challenge, mate. Oh my <laughs> good grief! I thought, I yeah, I th- I think we just finished on that. We got a hundredth episode coming up. If you can turn it around that quickly. Well, <laughs> we're more likely to get our lunch buffet, I think, out of it. <laughs> hey, bum bum. Let's let's move that to one side for now, uh, and, and move on to the next in our regular features, the ever popular Titus Tomo, where uh, Titus Tomo, uh, that is he, Tom Morris, will give us the benefit of his wisdom and knowledge and sagacity when it comes to saving money. But before we come on to him, Chris, have you got anything for us this week? Yeah, I've got. An interesting one. Well, I think it's interesting. I've got a tip about how to teach children about money, or rather not necessarily about money, but about waste, which is kind of a similar topic, isn't it, really? Very definitely connected. Buy them a camera. I'm talking about an old-fashioned camera with a roll of 24 pictures and a film that you have to take to a shop or send away to get developed. Because everything is so disposable and instant and available these days. It's so easy to consume, to spend money. Even times when we do buy something nice like maybe a piece of art it's often as much for the investment potential as it is for the enjoyment of the thing itself when it comes to photograph we just point and click i mean it's been a great thing i've i looked at my phone i've got 2400 pictures on my phone at the moment i can't look at all of that lot now you remember david you'll remember these days you only have 24 pictures in your camera and then you've got to pay for them to be developed maybe wait several weeks if you've posted them off you then tend to be a lot more careful about the pictures that you take. Not only that, it also makes you notice and concentrate on the thing you're taking a picture of. Now, I'm not saying we should get rid of using um, phones for pictures, etc. but I just think if you buy your kids a camera, it might just teach them a little bit about being wasteful, about noticing, about thinking about what you're doing. I think that's very good advice. And do you know what? I've got a series of photo albums that go back to the mid-1970s. Uh, each year, I would collect together all my favourite photos, put them in an album. Some years, I did it more than others. And they go through all the way through to about 1994, 1995. And I've got, and I can look back at those. And I have done this in the past and remember happy times and people that I met. And who was that? Oh, God, do you remember that? Uh, from about 1995 onwards, I don't have those things because I stopped taking those photographs, having that physical evidence. And I'm thinking, oh, it's all right. It's all stored in the cloud. And some of it is, but probably most of it isn't. I've lost probably most of those photos. Uh, and I've taken far too many anyway, and therefore they're probably not that meaningful. And so um, I don't think a photo has the same meaning that it used to. Um, and therefore, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think we value things in the same way that we used to. And I, I find that a bit of a shame. All right, no one's disagreeing with me. We'll move no, on then. No. Tom, what have you got to tell us? <laughs> um, do you know what? That For a little while now, over the last few episodes, my tips have been really practical, really sensible, really helpful, arguably. Um, I, I, it was actually Chris, you were the one who, who brought this one to my attention because we both follow. Um, and I have to, I'm going to say this, we do not endorse you doing this. I'm just sharing a funny <laughs> anecdote I saw on Twitter, okay? So please do not come and think that we are a bunch of bandits. So the, there is... The audience is, is all as one leaned forward into the... <laughs> <laughs> Quite. 
So there is there is a, a Twitter account called at Fesshole. That's F E S. Yeah. Now, there, 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 absolutely, some of the stuff that's on it will never make the podcast. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely for, for adult size only. Um, but this one, I thought it was quite quite funny. Just Death, to explain, give a bit of background that it's what it is. It's where people can come on and confess anonymously to things that they've done. Correct. Which usually. You Yeah, are frowned yeah. upon. Yeah. So this one I'll read verbatim. I live alone, and when I moved into my apartment, the bloke opposite made it clear he fancied me. I wasn't interested, but when he asked me in for Thai food, I saw it as an opportunity to take a photo of his Wi-Fi box. <laughs> it's been over two years now. He's clueless and saved me about a grand. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's victimless as well, isn't it? Because it hasn't cost the other guy anything at all. Boring his Wi-Fi. Well, I, I look like I said at the start. I am not endorsing that or anything. <laughs> I just thought I'd share a funny anecdote about somebody saving some money, um, arguably inappropriately. But there you go. Sometimes these things excellent, very good. Funny. And also, I would recommend Fesshole as a Twitter account. It's very, very funny, but it can get very rude. Uh, parental it, advisory there. It, it can. Maybe I should be looking for some. Uh, some. I, I will search it for more money saving related tips for a bit of fun in the future. Excellent. All right, then. Thank you for that, Tomo. Let's move on to today's topic. Now, Chris, you said you're going to talk us through four steps to creating a financial well-being plan based on some of the content of your new book, The Cornerstones of Financial Well-Being. So uh, I guess the first question from me is, how is your financial well-being plan different from a standard financial plan? Yeah. So let me go into this in a bit more detail. A typical financial plan is going to create one of our um, five pillars of financial well-being, create the clear path to identifiable objectives. The financial well-being plan I've got in mind is about getting a better relationship with money. So it's about understanding what those objectives are, about making sure your objectives are things that are going to make you happy, that they're not just um, going to be buying status items, for example. So it's a higher level plan, we might say, looked at the broader picture. Yeah. Can I just pick you up on there? You said uh, it's about getting a better relationship with money. What do you mean by better in this context? To quote the first financial well-being, but one that leads us to being happier, not just wealthier. Mm -hmm. um, I'm seeing it quite a bit at the moment. There are some financial planners who have been saying that financial well-being is simply what happens when you get great financial planning. And, well, uh, yeah. yeah, I think after nearly 100 episodes of this podcast, we've proved plenty of evidence that it's an awful lot more than that, surely. Mm, exactly, David. Uh, financial well-being is, is a deep and broad topic about money and happiness. It certainly isn't just a phrase to describe having a financial plan. So I've tried to come up with a plan that isn't really about the money at all. Um, a plan that might need money to achieve it, but focused on happiness in, in a way that will change our relationship to money. Well, paint me pink and call me Simon. Where do we start? What is step one of your four-point plan? Well, I don't think I want to go on. I've, never, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Every day is um, a day. Okay. So, like all the best plans, we're going to start at the end. Before we take a first step, we should first ask ourselves where we're headed. What will good look like? What is our definition of success? Well, that's a tricky one because I just want to answer to be happy, but then you're going to ask me what that means for me, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, this is such a common issue we find with clients at Ovation. You know, when people come to, to see us for financial advice, 
they're often coming with a specific issue, you know, pensions to review or they need to set one up or like to make an investment, whatever it may be. But when we then talk to them about their life objectives, we find it's often not something they give given much thought to before. So I've got a couple of exercises to help you because you're going to you're going to play some of this you two as well as our listeners what success means to each of you to work out where we're headed the listeners might want to pause the podcast at this point to get a pen and paper and then they might want to pause it again in a minute when i say so pause now welcome back right <laughs> to begin with what i want you to do is to write down three people that you admire one might be someone that you know well a friend a loved one Another one might be someone you don't know quite so well, maybe a work colleague or somebody in your profession. And the third is somebody famous that you don't know. Okay, so write down those three people. Next, write down what it is that you admire about those people. Take your time, list as many things as you can. It could be their attitudes, things that they've achieved. It could be something specific about them. Anything at all. Just brain dump the things that you admire about those people. Now, the next step is to take a new sheet of paper, write down all those attributes but and take out any duplications and take out the names. Could you hone that list down to just four or five key attributes? Listeners might want to pause the podcast here while they take time to go through those stages. Now, take a metaphorical step back and look at that list. Because what we admire in others is indicative of who we want to be ourselves. So this list is actually a list of either who you are or who you want to be. Now, I asked you to both go through this exercise in advance of this recording. So, a bit nervous about this. Are you willing to share what you've discovered? Maybe, Tomo, could you go first? Yeah, yeah. I've, do, do you want to know that some of the people that I, I, I picked out, I'm quite, I'm quite happy to name check them, at least that they know that I, I think of them in high regard. One of these would definitely be an amazing podcast guest. Um, so I think about, I kind of merge these two people cause they're very similar in what they've done in their lives and what, what, what they are to me. So, so definitely my father and grandfather, if you remember, we did a, a, an episode way back, um, following my, my late grandfather's passing. And for that, it, they would just give so much time to other things and other cause, causes. I mean, heavily involved with local rugby, heavily involved with local scouting, all that sort of thing. And I, I, I found that selflessness for others really quite really quite a, a, a great attribute um for us as a family they were providers um but also just good company they're very very happy to mix with anybody and, and quite extroverted in that way um then i thought about colleague um i was quite literal with your request and i actually you you know well you both know adrian at ovation is somebody that, that i admire in that regard he's he's very good at his job um, he's the MD at Ovation and, and very calm and unflustered and a caring individual. Um, and then the, the celebrity really had to think about this. And this is the guest that we'd love. <laughs> Imagine having David Attenborough as a guest. Oh, um, And I think he comes to mind as number one, he's my son's hero. My son's only six, but he's absolutely adores Attenborough. So automatically there is a connection there. But I just find him a thoroughly decent human being and he you know he's been around for 90 odd years and 70 odd years in showbiz and nobody's called him out for being a fraud or being you know not a good person so one would expect that that the decency you see on screen is absolutely 
the person he is, but he's just all about positive change. So what were the, the difference? What were the four or five or however many attributes that you went? Yeah, up? sorry, I waffled on. So Tammy, do feel free to cut out. So I, I think the five that I, that I took was time for others. Being good company. Um, being caring and a decent person. Having a positive change and impact. And I think that the, the other one was just this, this, the, the fifth one was just being sort of calm and unflustered. Okay, so if we now apply those to you, to come back to that, let's come back to that. But that's what this means. David, what about yours? Yeah, well, I took uh, I took three people. I took uh, my old uh, one of my oldest friends. Uh, I was at university with him, uh, a guy called Ben, and I've known him for very many many years. Uh, and then I looked at somebody who I worked with last year, uh, Joe Sims, uh, who I worked with, uh, did a play uh, called The Red Lion. I've not met him before. We've become sort of friends, but I don't see him very often. Uh, uh, but he was somebody that I worked with who I admired very much. And then my famous person was uh, Russell T. Davis, who's a television writer, again, whose work I admire tremendously. I think he's a very, very good writer. Um, and the things I realised that those people had in common uh, they're all driven. They're all hard workers. They all work really, really hard. Uh, they're funny and compassionate. Uh, and uh, they are loyal, thoughtful, intelligent. Um, they're socialists, probably all of them. So that was another thing uh, that I think they all have in common. And when I reflected that back on myself, uh, and it was a very interesting exercise. I thought, yeah, I think I'm probably, um, even if I haven't probably achieved the same level of success as any of those people, actually, although I've done pretty well for myself. But I think the thing that has stood me in good stead is, is a lot of those attributes as well. So the point of the exercise is that being that person is success. Success isn't a financial number. Success is in being the person that you admire in others so i would say david you have been extremely successful um so there's a second exercise here so so this is all part of a process okay? hang, hang on hang on a second you said david david was extremely <laughs> successful i mean to be fair i've still got a little bit of a stretch ahead of me but thanks chris i know where no i'm only i'm only pulling your leg i thought i would just let that one lie <laughs> <laughs> no, no chance you were getting away with that <laughs> no quite no of course you have tom of course but no no i'm you pulling are, your leg don't don't and don't you are, down and you are much younger you have uh um no, no, lots don't. of time not that yeah. david has oh god i'm going in circles so there's a second exercise here reflecting on this list uh, and i'm talking to the listeners mainly here ask yourself what impact your relationship to money has on these attributes think in terms of both the short term spending but also your long-term your financial plan does your spending help you to live a life which focuses on these attributes which helps you to live those values and will your longer-term plans enable those values and those attributes to flourish i'm not intending on asking you both that by the way well um i'm kind of happy to answer it very briefly which is yes <laughs> <laughs> Nice and simple. Excellent. So look, that's all part of step one, to understand what success means to you, um, 
And there are other ways you can look online to work out what your values are and what success means, etc. But hopefully it's a, a, a little exercise that makes success not be in financial terms and how big my house is and all that kind of stuff. It's about are you living the life, you know, the being being the good you, all that kind of stuff you hear that you hear quite often. So now we've got a better idea of where we want to get to. We might take a moment to reinforce it. So step two is to get a little bit more specific about the future by asking this question. Do these values that we have identified point to anything specific about our future? It could be something you want to do, or maybe it's a lifestyle change. It might be thinking about things you want to do when the kids leave home or in retirement, or maybe what you're already doing, what your job is. Is it giving you the ability to flourish with those values? It could be helping in the community. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think we've just touched on this, actually, and I think it'll be interesting to see that Thomas' answer to this could well be different from mine just because of the the age difference between us. And so, uh, as I've said before on this podcast, most of my future now lies behind me. Uh, and and therefore, whereas Tom is still young, virile, thrusting, ambitious, uh, and uh, we, we're probably going to have a very different attitude to, to how we do this. I probably, well, I can't say probably in comparison to Tom because he can speak for himself. So from my point of view, I would say, yes, I'm probably a lot more reflective now uh, uh, and looking around about what I'm doing now rather than necessarily looking ahead to what I might be doing in the future. Mm. I think I think my mind might shift. One that I didn't list is this idea of being a provider right now with a young family. That's something that that, that is quite important to me is to be able to provide a life that, that a, a happy life and a fun life for, for for my family, but also making sure that they are not without. Um, but I think the big one that stands out is the positive change, and um, the only way I know how to do that in professionally is just to make my profession just that little bit better than when than when I came in. So hopefully, when I've left this this line of work, that it is in a better place and stuff like the the Institute for Financial Wellbeing that me and Chris are a part of definitely chimes in with that. Um, and also the work that, you know, I'm, I'm not curing cancer, you know, I'm not a brain surgeon, but I'd like to think that the conversations and the way that I approach what I do for a living with clients has a positive impact on their lives and, and leaves them in a better place. So I think that's definitely been a cornerstone and will continue to be for me. Well, that's that's good news, because one thing I was worried was that you're going to say, actually, I've reflected on this and the change I need to make in my life and I'm resigning. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we thought about what success looks like for ourselves and then we've reflected on how that might clarify what we want from the future. And I would urge listeners to take time over this again, maybe pause the podcast here for a bit and just reflect on are there any changes in my life that could make me more aligned to those values and the person that i want to be now so, presumably this means how we are spending our money is that what you're getting at here yeah absolutely um well to a, to, a, to a large extent um so let's look at step three which is about whether we have the right balance between enjoying today and saving in order to bring that desired future closer that that balance point comes up so often in conversations with clients and, and it and it varies greatly between different clients in practice you know we have some clients who are financially secure but who struggle to spend money on themselves you know sometimes financial planning means trying to get people to enjoy their money and um, then there are others who do have clarity over their future plans but you know, have high spending today uh, to put it politely 
you know, for those clients, we might just offer a friendly challenge on whether that spending is really bringing them joy. And then getting clarity over their desired future. You know, is it really important for these clients? Because then they get this perspective that what they're spending today might be delaying them reaching that future they've identified. You know, that, that, that can bring real focus to their approach with money. I've got a really good story to illustrate that point, actually, from um, a long, long time ago when I did my better traveling post, uh, sorry, post sick form. Um, I'm sure this is apocryphal, but I've always remembered it. I like to think it's true. And it was a story about somebody that had met who was traveling and was planning to travel for the rest of their lives. There was a, a biker, we would probably call them. Um, and this person it was in their mid 30s. And since leaving school, they had spent 15 years working permanent nights. So they had no life really to speak of, but just work nights on double time, triple time, whatever it was, for 15 years constantly, and then stop work forever. Saved up all that money because they had no life. And at the age of 33, got on a motorbike and went traveling. And that's what they were doing for the rest of their lives. Now, that's what you call focusing on your future, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess so. And so presumably uh, taking that on board, if, if someone wanted an activity, uh, for this step, then then they could spend some time like reviewing their spending. Absolutely. Sit down with your bank statement. Just get a sense of how you're allocating your money. But it's not just money, of course. Do the same thing with your calendar. Consider how you're allocating your time. Go back over your diary. Are you allocating your time in keeping with your values? Okay, so step one was define success in terms of our values. Step two was to apply those values when thinking about where we're headed in life. Step three, consider whether our spending today is helping us to get there. What's the all-important fourth step, Chris? Well, there's a lot of possible exercises we could, we could put in this one. Um, we could look at our behaviours or whether we have given ourselves permission to be happy. Oh, permission to be happy. Now, that's an interesting concept. Elaborate, please. Yeah, yeah. Again, permission is, is again, a common issue. Um, with clients that we talk to at Ovation, you know, whether it's spending money on themselves or, or doing a job that might not earn so much, but brings them purpose. Uh, when I think about it, I reckon needing permission to be happy is, is something I talk a lot about. I do look at this in the, in the new book, actually. Um, shall I investigate it a bit more for a future podcast? Chris, I think that's a great idea because I, I, this rings very true for me in terms of giving yourself that permission to, well, be happy or, do lots of things. We're often so hidebound by the expectations that we think other people have of us. We lose sight about the important things to ourselves. So I think, yeah, that's something I'd really like to discuss at a later podcast. Right. On it like the proverbial car bonnet. <laughs> so for this, however, we need a step four. So uh, something that's um, going to stop, get, get rid of the blockage that we have around money. So I'm going to suggest we look at another issue that might be holding us back, which is whether we have any beliefs around money that might be stopping us from taking those first steps. Now, we've, we've touched on this, I know, in the past in, in, in the podcast, but could you give us an example of what you mean by beliefs around money? Uh, it might be someone who says, I, I'm not very good with money or the stock market isn't for me or perhaps someone who keeps spending because deep down, they don't really think they are the sort of person who has nice things. So try this exercise for a period, perhaps a weekend or maybe over the course of a week or two. Try and be conscious about your attitude to money. If you are a little cavalier when shopping, for example, 
what was your justification to yourself? If you saw that nice thing and thought, oh, go on, why not? What, what is it your head said? What, what, what went round in your head? Write it down. There's a, if you realise that there's a sentence there that your little voice in the back of your head is saying, write down that sentence. So it could be that you might say, I've worked hard, I deserve that thing. Or if you don't buy something nice, did you somewhere in the back of your head think you don't deserve it? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd add a little bit more to this, not just necessarily the financial element. It could be how you reacted to seeing something on the news. Um, well, this is financial, but maybe how you felt when you saw the stock market go down, if it was on the news. You know, how did it make you feel? Perhaps a friend came into money. Were you pleased for them or jealous? Just, just list it. Have a think about it. So compile a list of things that come into your mind in relationship to money. And then after that period, when you've got a few written down, take some time to review those thoughts that you've written down. Is there any consistency between these different thoughts? Are there any money beliefs that start to emerge? OK, now, final step in this process. Ask yourself this question about those beliefs. Are they preventing you from achieving the success that you identified in step one? becoming that person, living those values that we identify. If they aren't, then they're not a self-limiting belief, at least in terms of future planning, so that's fine. But if they are getting in the way of achieving your definition of success, then this is what we call a self-limiting belief. Uh, right, and if we do realise that's what's happening, what, what do we do? Um, there's a process someone can go through which basically involves considering where this belief came from. And if there is any real evidence to back up that this is a valid belief? Or is it just something you believe through, uh, I don't know, a specific experience you've had? Maybe because it's what you were taught by your parents. Having sought evidence then, you might then ask if there is a different belief that would help you achieve your plans. Can you find evidence that this alternative belief is also valid? Live it. How does it feel? Does it feel comfortable? Could you get used to that new belief? Yeah, I think that's very true. And I know I've mentioned this on a podcast in the past, but I've got a, a, an example of that myself. We talk about parental voices. And my dad was always saying to me, Dave, I don't know what it is about you, but whenever your back's against the wall, something always turns up. You're really, really, you're the luckiest person I knew. And I believed that about myself for a long time. But what I ultimately realised was actually it wasn't like that when my back was against the wall, usually because of my own fault and neglect of doing certain important things, I actually worked very, very hard to get myself out of the scrape that I was in. So actually, it wasn't about luck. It was about me going, oh, God, I better do something about this. And it took me a long time to realise that I had that power within me that, that I'd always assumed I didn't have because my dad had always told me that I was lucky. Um, so the four steps you've chosen then, Chris, for this simple financial well-being plan, which actually isn't that simple at all, are... <laughs> Firstly, identify success for you in terms of your values. Uh, two, consider whether this broad idea of success points to anything specific. Step three, ask whether our current spending habits are helping or hindering us achieving this success. Step four, ask whether we have any beliefs that might be helping or hindering us achieving this success. Yeah, great summary, David. Thank you. The, the book goes into much more detail, as you can imagine, about these stages and offers other stages and lots of other exercises. But I just thought this little distillation might make for a version of a financial well-being plan that our listeners might find useful. And we would love to hear from them. If you go through these exercises, please tell us 
what happened and uh, if you made any changes and anything that you found out. Yeah, it's been a very different podcast today, actually. It's been more interactive. Uh, so I hope that, you know, following on from what Chris has just said, I hope you will do that, actually. Take the time to do the exercises. Uh, get in touch with us. We've bared our souls. You bear yours. And get in touch with us and tell us what's been going on. Tell us what solutions you've come up with, uh, any problems you might have encountered. All the ways of getting in touch are in the show notes at the end of the episode. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.